Jesus, uh, we ask just humbly that you would be at work in us today. Uh, we have glorious, beautiful things to look at today. Breathtaking realities. Truths that are beyond our, our wildest dreams. And things that are true for us in you. So we pray, Lord, that you'd be at work in us. That you would show us the truth. That you would convince us that it is true. And that we would live as people who know the truth that is in their Lord Jesus Christ. We pray it in your name. Amen. Um, Dwight Moody. Uh, he's not been around for a little while now, but he's, he's, he was better known probably as D.L. Moody. Um, and, and he was perhaps the most influential evangelist of the, the 19th century. So we, we're kicking back a little way there. Uh, but many have still heard of him. Uh, Moody uh, was a pastor who operated out of a church in Chicago. Uh, and, and through his ministry, thousands of people came to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, one of the things that made the ministry of Moody so winsome and so powerful is the fact that he entirely trusted in the reality of the resurrection. He, he knew of the resurrection that was awaiting him and he trusted that, that, was, that it was coming. He understood how certain and how glorious his resurrection would be. And he, so he understood that the life of a believer in Jesus now will be transformed by the, by the reality of that resurrection life that is to come. Uh, he once wrote something. In fact, it appears in the first page of his biography written by his son. Um, but it's a quote from him. Moody wrote this. He said, Someday you'll read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't believe a word of it. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher. That is all. Out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal. A body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint. A body fashioned like unto his glorious body. I was born of the flesh in 1837. I was born of the spirit in 1856. That which is born of the flesh may die. That which is born of the spirit will live forever. Uh, like I said, we can re we're continuing in 1 Corinthians today, this series where we're looking at how the word of God calls us to become who we are in Jesus Christ. Uh, as you know by now, this, this letter is a, is a situational letter. Paul writes to address these 10 situations of the church in Corinth, 10 issues of, of sinful behaviour and of false teaching, of wrong ideas, which were destroying this congregation, which Paul himself had planted. He's, he's writing uh, it to bring them back to the truth about Jesus and the ways that we are formed into who we are by the truth about Jesus. And so in each of these situations that Paul speaks to, we've seen him bring to bear the truth of the gospel, these gospel principles, which then have gospel application in the lives of believers, both then and now. Uh, and Eric hopefully started us off last week in, in the last one of these issues, uh, the, the final of the ten. Uh, people were questioning in Corinth the resurrection of believers. Kind of asking, well, sure, Paul, uh, maybe, maybe Jesus rose from the dead, 
we can we can kind of we can dig that all right but the idea that we will rise from the dead seems pretty far-fetched or, or maybe you know maybe we will have a resurrection in some kind of distant non-physical far-side-esque spiritual way uh, but the idea that those who believe in Jesus will be bodily raised never to die again People were having a lot of trouble accepting that. In fact, it was being actively undermined in the church there. And the response from Paul, which Eric so aptly brought us last week, was this. If Christ is risen, we will rise like him. His resurrection is inseparably connected to our resurrection. If you weren't here last week and you hear that and you go, wow, that sounds like a great message, go and listen to it on the, on the website. I don't know if it's up there yet or not, but... Uh, he rose. He rose physically. He rose in victory over death, never to die again. And those things will be true of us when we rise for all who've trusted in Jesus. And you get to the, the midway point of this chapter, verse 35, the beginning of our passage for today. And Paul anticipates a dumb question. People often say that there are no dumb questions, by the way. It's a blatant falsehood. I'm so sorry uh, to, to break that to you. Uh, my favourite thing when someone tells me that there's no dumb questions is to ask them what the circumference of a moose is. Uh, but Paul anticipates... Sorry, that was, a, that was an aside. Paul anticipates a dumb question. Uh, and, and, and we know that Paul thinks the question is dumb because he asks it and then he, he's, you know, he says, I bet you'll ask this, and he's, then he says, you fool... <laughs> you can't be clearer than that. Uh, and yet, I'm not sure I've ever been so grateful in my life for a dumb question as I am for this dumb question. And that's because this dumb question results in perhaps more insight into the nature of the resurrection that we will share in than we find anywhere else in the Bible. So here's the question. Paul writes, someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Good you foolish person. Not you, Eric. Um, now, of course, what, what makes the question foolish is not actually the question itself. It's what we saw last week, that people are trying to deny the resurrection. And so this question would be asked from a place of trying to discredit the truth of the resurrection. Kind of that, what Eric spoke about last week, that people have gone, well, you know, what if we, what if we burn the body? God can't resurrect that, right? You know, that, like, trying to kind of undermine the physical possibilities of it, as though the creator God of the universe couldn't do it if we just kind of separated some of the bits of the body apart. And, and you know, he can't, he can't reform that. He can't make a body out of that. Uh, God who made the universe. That, that's the heart of what's coming here. They're, they're, they're saying, well... How is God going to raise? You know, what kind of body are we going to have? That's ridiculous. Kind of, this doesn't even make sense. And Paul answers it. And as he does, what we see is that the resurrection of believers far exceeds anything that we could have hoped for or even dreamed of. So today, uh, what we get to do, and I want to emphasize that, this isn't something that we have to do. This is something that we get to do. We get to walk through these verses, these right fields of truth, and just wonder at what 
is coming for those who believe in Jesus. What Paul starts out with is he he blows a lot of our assumptions out of the water on what is meant by the resurrection. Um, Eric mentioned last week, sometimes we get uh, get mistaken and we think that the hope awaiting us is this purely non-physical clouds, harps sort of thing. Um, And and I've never quite got that because harps are physical, but anyway. Um, uh, But he mentioned that that's mistaken, obviously. Uh, which, of course, it is because uh, we know we will be raised like Jesus was raised. And we know that Jesus was not just spiritually raised, but physically raised. In fact, the, the separation between spiritual and physical is not a separation that exists in the Christian faith. We speak about the spiritual, we are not separating something from the physical. That's a different religion. But even if you do believe in the physical resurrection of believers, what Paul says here probably stretches your understanding of what's meant by that. What he does, uh, sorry, rather, what we tend to do is is we imagine that there are kind of three markers of the resurrection, right? So so our resurrection is we're not dead anymore. That's that's essential, um, relatively important. We're not dying anymore. We're not going to die again. And, And we're at our peak physical fitness, you know, probably... Probably 25-year-old John, but better, because I have never been at peak physical fitness. I don't think it's a thing that's ever existed for me. But, uh, you know, muscly you, shall we say. Um, maybe, maybe a little bit cleverer. But Paul kind of takes that, and he, go, he drops it in a bin, and he goes, no, 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 it's better than that. It's so much better than that. He gives us three explanations of how the resurrection body will be. Will, will be. Uh, which, and, and these things should take our breath away. First, he uses a metaphor of a seed and a plant. Uh, I like that we're in a farming area. Most of the metaphors of the Bible speak to us better than they do in the city. I'm just saying. It's a, it's a country book. So, so he speaks about it and he says, what we are now is a seed, a husk. What we will be is the plant. Now, that would be easy to pass over, but do we get what that means? This is, this is probably my favourite thing that Paul points out in this chapter, at least this time around. I don't know, 1 Corinthians 15 is one of those chapters where you read it again and again and you always find something that you're like, whoa, that's amazing. Because what, he, what he's saying is that there is a continuity and a discontinuity between our body now and our body to come. It's continuous, it continues like this. If you look at a wheat plant, you know, you, which you can do, you can head on out to the, to the paddocks near Middleton and, and see wheat and barley and lentils, and you can identify them, right? You, can, you know which one, if, if you know anything about them, you know which seed they came from. Uh, you can, there's a continuity, right? The, the seed and the plant are identifiable with one another. And there's going to be a recognisable connection between the body you have now and the one you will have then. I honestly believe one day I'm going to walk up to Keith Nankerville in, in a glorious new creation and I'm going to know that it's Keith Nankerville. I'm not going to be like, so which one are you? Um, <laughs> that would be kind of fun. But, but don't miss it. As the plant 
as the plant is greater than the seed. As the plant is more impressive than what you plant. As, as the gum tree is greater than the gum nut, so to speak. So much greater will the resurrection body be than this present body. That's what Paul's saying. Doesn't this blow much of our kind of theorising and debating about the resurrection out of the water? Is, isn't this crazy? You know, maybe, maybe um, I, th I, think, I think there's power here for, for a person who's born, say, with a disability. Um, maybe, maybe that's you. Not all disabilities are immediately visible. Um, you know, you, to you, the whole talk of the resurrection might come across a bit funny sometimes. It does to, to people who are disabled sometimes because, because it kind of communicates like, wow, you know, you're going to be made better. You're, you're, you're going to be fixed. Um, you're broken, you're going to be fixed. But, and, and like the rest of us, we're just going to go back to 25. Um, but and like, it always seems a bit rude in that sense. Right? Like, to say to a, maybe a person with autism, you know, your brain's going to be fine when we get there, right? Um, but, but, and you know, the rest of us will just stop dying. And that's going to be good too. But that's not it at all. The resurre resurrection body will be so glorious, so different to what we're used to, that if we took the most healthy, the most beautiful, the most intelligent person we can find with just that perfect cinematic smile, right? And the, the, those, those eyes that sparkle like someone's done something digitally and, 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 and that body that looks like they're from the cover of a magazine that also looks like they've done something digitally. Uh, and, and we compared that to just anyone in the resurrection, like just, just, just out of a hat. Um, we would look at that first person and be disgusted and be, be grossly disappointed. We will all be transformed. It's not that some of us will be brought back to complete. No, no, no. We will all be made complete in ways that can't even be comprehended now. I mean, it's... Like, it's... We're all disabled on an eternal sense. Take it that way. And we will all be made what we were made to be. For everyone who trusts in Jesus. It's, it's pointless, isn't it, um, to theorise because, because we don't know. We, we, do, we can't call specifics. But, and yet it's fun anyway, and we're going to do it a little bit today. Um, there, there are whole spectrums of light. In fact, you know, the, the bit that we see is remarkably limited. Um, and, and there's whole areas of light that we can't see. Will we be able to see it one day? Will we see the light that we see right now better? The, the sound that we hear, you know, you know how we can't hear a dog whistle or, or like billions of other things that just happen without us hearing. Will we hear in a way that's just better than we hear now? Will our, will our taste buds work in ways that we can't comprehend. Will there be no spinach? Or will our taste buds just love spinach? I don't know. <laughs> um, you, you know that recurrent dream you had as a kid of flying? Will it be reality? I, there's at least a few nodding heads right here, right? That's, I don't know. But what we do know 
is that as the plant is more impressive than the seed, so much more will be the resurrection body than the body now. Paul's second thing, he says, the second explanation, is that God makes bodies appropriate to their context. Um, he gives earthly and heavenly bodies. You know, this is the bit with, with you know, fish and, and birds in, it, in there that, you, that, that we read through, and as you went through that bit, you kind of went, it's a bit odd. Um, for me, that's the bit where I get stuck, uh, but maybe not you. But the point is, he gives earthly and heavenly bodies, he gives... Uh, animals and people, the sun, the moon and stars, a glory that is appropriate to the setting that he places them in. And it's going to be the same in the resurrection. So the resurrection body will fit the context of a glorified new heavens and new earth. It'll fit in. It won't be, it won't be that you get to the new heavens and new earth and find that you are disproportionately disappointing compared to the beauty of what is around you. No, you'll be the perfect match to the context that God has put you in by his grace. Think about that. Like, Revelation 21 describes it as a place that is like a city made of precious jewels, characterised by completeness, where God's glory is displayed for all to see where life is freely given like fruit from a tree and like water from a stream. Go somewhere else in the Bible. Isaiah 51, 11 describes how we will experience it. It says, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And the midst of such completion, such joy, in the midst of a place where the glory of the Creator is displayed for all to see, we will have a resurrection body which fits the context. Which has a glory that fits the context. Like that's a... That was my mind exploding, in case anyone was wondering. Third. Paul's third explanation of the resurrection is that he gives us these four kind of juxtapositions, he plays two things, contrasts of, of the now and the then. This body now, he uses four words. He says it's perishable, it'll die. It's dishonourable and, it, and it's sown in dishonour, it dies in dishonour. It's weak and it dies in weakness. It's natural, like the broken nature that is around us, not the nature that God first designed. It's an Adam body, taking after the man who sinned and subsequently died. But the body to come is imperishable. It is immortal. It will never die. The body to come is glorious, he says. The body to come is powerful. The body to come is spiritual. Like we said, not by any means meaning non-physical. That's, that's a non-Christian read on that word. What Paul means by spiritual is spirit-empowered in ways that we can't imagine now. 
infused fully with the Spirit of God in all of its physicality and all of its spirituality and everything. C.S. Lewis had, had this beautiful quote. He says that the, in, in his book, The Weight of Glory, uh, the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. It's an everlasting splendour. That was the words he used. So do we see what I mean when I say that the resurrection of believers far exceeds anything that we could have hoped or dreamed for? It's like, and this is just the taste, right? This is, this is trying to explain the unexplainable. And having given us these three explanations of the resurrection body to come, Paul gives us something more, something surprising. He says that resurrection life is something we are called to live in now. Have, have a look in your Bible, if, if you've got one there with you. He says... Verse 48, he says, As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. As is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Notice what he's saying there. He's not saying, so also will those be who will be of heaven, or who are of heaven and destined to be there. There is a sense in which that is coming for us. That's what he's been explaining there's, there's a body coming. But this whole time he's been talking about the body to come and now he says, if you belong to Jesus, if you belong to heaven, then this is actually the essence of who you are now. Because the spirit of God is in you already. Because by faith you have already been saved by Jesus Resurrection life already courses through you. Your body just doesn't match it yet. And when he comes back, it will. You know, the, the earliest copies of, of verse 49 there read like this. Um, they say, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, so let us bear the image of the man of heaven. It's a, it's a one-letter difference in the original language between so we shall bear and so let us bear. Um, but the earliest ones say, so let us bear the image of the man of heaven. This is a call. This isn't just a call to wait for the day to come. We do wait for the day to come. But in our waiting, as we believe the truth of the resurrection that is to come, and as we look back at the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we're led to be transformed today in our living. To live today in the light of those realities. To live today with resurrection power, though our bodies do not have it yet. Our spirits do. To be bold in inviting in the lost. To exude something of the life of heaven in the ways we speak to people, the ways we speak about people. To breathe out life as we gather people to our tables. 
who do know the Saviour and who don't know the Saviour. As we invite them to join us in our walk to everlasting life with him. In these things, we breathe out and we live in resurrection life now. As our living is transformed. This helps us to step into our missionary identity as children of God. Not as a, not as a dry and dull duty to share the message and build a religion. That's not what we hear about. We don't come to church, we don't believe in Jesus because we want to build a club. If you want to build a club, there are plenty of clubs. That's not what we hear about. We are ones who have received life beyond measure and will receive even more in the time that is to come. And we have the opportunity, we have the privilege to bring others into that life as well, in Jesus' name. We are a people for whom death will be swallowed up in victory. Indeed, who already know that our death is swallowed up in the victory of the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As Paul finishes this section, finishes this last issue, in fact, in the letter, as he finishes wowing us with the wonder of the resurrection, he gives us a key reminder. We already looked at this a little bit in our communion today. The beautiful, unimaginable, transformed truth of the resurrection. The immortal, glorious, powerful, spiritual truth of our resurrection is true because Jesus has overcome death in his death. sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Without Jesus, this isn't the resurrection that awaits us. Without Jesus, we would be raised to go to judgment. Without Jesus, we would be judged for our sins. And the judgment would be an eternal death, a second death, the dead opposite of what we've been describing this morning. A death that isn't over in an instant but lasts forever. But thanks be to God, he is gracious, he is merciful. And in the cross of Jesus, sin is defeated. He takes the weight of sin and he bears it for all who will believe. He takes the cup of punishment for the sin that we have committed, the, the punishment that we deserve, and he drinks it dry. In fact, he has done so at the cross. And because sin is defeated, death is defeated. Yeah. I don't know where everyone here is at with Jesus today, uh, nor anyone who's listening to this who's not here today. But what I do know is that he makes an invitation to all to come and receive the life of the resurrection, to trust in Jesus, to trust that his body was broken for you, that he carried the weight of your sin and that he saves you, to turn away from running away from God and turn to trusting in Jesus and be saved and be one of the children of the resurrection. If that's you today, this is your opportunity 
and it stands open. The door never closes. Jesus calls you in. He says, child, come. Believe. Trust in me and be saved. Turn from your running. Run towards the one who loves you. In um, 1891, a catastrophic fire ripped through the city of Chicago. Uh, a city built primarily at that stage uh, from wood in what one might debate was a, an act of a lack of foresight. The sidewalks were made of wood, the buildings were made of wood, everything was made of wood. And so, as a result, there was catastrophic destruction in 1891, when the Great Fire of Chicago happened. Amidst the destruction, the church of D.L. Moody, Dwight Moody, was burned down. And the home of Dwight Moody was also burned down. All of it destroyed. After losing all of his worldly possessions, except for his Bible, which he somehow managed to save, this is what he said. He wrote this down. He said, After the Chicago fire, I met a man who said, Moody? I like the age where people refer to each other by their last name, by the way. Moody, I hear you lost everything in the Chicago fire. Well, I said, you understood it wrong. I didn't. He said, how much have you left? I said, I can't tell you. I have got a good deal more left than I lost. You can't tell me how much you, you, you have left. No. I didn't know that you were ever so rich. What do you mean? I mean just what I say. I got my Bible out of the fire. That's about the only thing. One promise came to mind that illuminated the city a great deal more than the fire ever did. He that overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God and he shall be my son. You ask me how much I am worth, I don't know. You may go and find out how much the Vanderbilts are worth, and the Astors, and the Rothschilds. Anyone heard of them? Ooh, okay, there's actually no, I had no idea who these people were. Um, but you can't find out how much a child of God is worth. Why? Because he is a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Why are you going around with your head down talking about your poverty? The weakest, poorest child of God is richer than a Vanderbilt because he has eternal riches. The stuff that burned up in Chicago was like the dust on the balance. It's funny how 131 years of retrospect for me kind of adds to the power of that. Those who nodded their head might not get what I'm saying here because right now you, you might look around at the world, right, and, and, and see so many seemingly worthwhile things to give your life to. Or you might look and see so many rich powerful people whose lives are of such greater significance and importance and power and glory in a worldly way than yours. 
You might see tasks to give your days to that will make you a more comfortable person in the here and now, that will add to your peace in the here and now. You know, I know some of you do, but I don't even know who the Vanderbilts, the Astors, and the Rothschilds are. I don't even know if I'm saying their names correctly. I'm willing to bet probably 50% of us don't know, at least, who those people are. But D.L. Moody, right now, is with his saviour. Has things of eternal significance that will never be taken from him. D.L. Moody and every other follower of Jesus who has died, and everyone who will die, this will be true for as well, is alive. More alive now than than they have ever been. D.L. Moody and every other follower of Jesus will be raised with a body that is immortal, glorious, powerful and spiritual. So church, let's not... Let's not just have our eyes on the reality of what is around us here. Let's have our eyes on the reality that is to come. Let's live in that reality. Let me finish. I'll finish with the last words that Paul says in this. He says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, Noting, knowing that in the Lord, your labour is not in vain. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we just, we just want to thank you. Thank you that you came, you lived, you died on that cross for us, Lord. In love you died. And you rose glorious, new, resurrected, never to die again, not like the body of the man of the earth, but with a heavenly body. We thank you, Lord, that that is a reality that you invite us into, that one day we will have a body like your body if we've trusted in Jesus, and that right now the life of the resurrection is in our hearts through your Spirit. Lord, we pray, we pray that you'd guard us. It is so easy for us to think of the things of this world and of the here and now as being so much more important than what you've called us to. So much more significant than the mission that you've sent us on. So much more real than what is truly reality. That our God reigns, that Jesus is risen, and that he is coming back and that we will inherit the earth with him, gloriously resurrected. Lord, help us to believe. Help our eyes to be on you, Jesus. And as we know the truth in you and the truth of what will be ours in you and what is ours in you, let us live out of it. So Lord, make us steadfast and immovable, standing with you all of our days. Let us always be abounding in the work of the Lord. Not just people who say they believe, but who believe so much that it changes how we live. Let us know, Lord, with certainty, even on the hardest days, that our labour for you is not in vain. And so, Lord, let us labour on all the more. We pray it all in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.